It's remarkable, isn't it? These days that we get to live and uh, to be able to look at, again, God's word, uh, to be able to really mine from it both theological truth and a framework in which we are to live. I don't know if you caught this this morning, but certainly was evident to me that of the Christiocentric nature of everything that's happened so far, both from the readings in God's Word and Romans 5, as well as the, the pastoral prayers that have been given, as well as the lyrics that we've sung, that all of them have centered around the person and work of Jesus Christ and how that impacts, yea, verily, shapes, reframes the way in which we live everyday life. And so by God's sweet providence, we're going to be looking at probably the most poetic passage in Scripture that illuminates and celebrates and proclaims the greatness of Jesus Christ. And we're going to reflect on how that impacts our everyday life. So open your Bibles as you do, or for those of you who, <laughs> who want to turn them on, I guess you can turn on your Bible as well. To get there to looking at uh, Colossians 1, we're going to be looking there. Now, for those of you who remember that the book of Colossians was written by Paul out of, uh, out of prison in Rome. And as he was there, that, uh, that he wrote both uh, Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Philemon, and this particular book was written to uh, the church in Colossae because he had heard of uh, just this, this heresy of Gnosticism that was beginning to make its way into the hearts of the people and even to tempt the leadership to begin to think differently other than on the truth of Scripture and Gnosticism is really this idea that, that what it means to follow Christ, what it means to really live before God himself is, is more defined by spiritualness. It's more defined by, uh, by things that are, uh, that are the spiritual realm and not of the earth. That really to follow and to love the Lord God is to think in terms of the spiritual nature, not in the earthiness of life. As a matter of fact, there was a rejection of things that were of the earth and of the flesh and really trying to seek some sort of higher knowledge that would allow you in some ways uh, to float through life and to reject the evil wickedness of this earth. And so Paul, writing an address to that, sets out the beginning of this book by looking at the person and work of Jesus Christ because God, very God, became flesh. He, he lived among us that to, to state that what it means to follow Jesus is not to move that into time and space, is to actually reject the very nature of who Jesus is. And so he goes and he looks into this passage. And so as we work on this together, and again, I think this passage is really particular to us today. I think there are a lot of congregations that couldn't just jump into Colossians 1. Uh, but I am positive and sure that we can jump in today and be reminded of these wonderful truths of the greatness of Christ and how that shapes everyday life. So let's look then at our passage, Colossians 1, and we're going to be starting in verse 15. Let me read the word of God to us this morning. It states this, he, that being Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, 
the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Let me bow in a word of prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to help us as we look at his word. Let's pray together. Lord, as we have read your word, we want to ask that you would open up the eyes of our hearts that we might see you, that we might know and understand and to really live out the beauty of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. So as we look now at this passage, we pray that you would help us to see him. Do that, we pray, for your honor and glory and our joy. Amen. So let's think about this together. First and foremost, as we look at the passage, and we're going to dive right in there in verse 15. So draw your eyes to the text. The first point that we want to look at is in the greatness of Jesus is this, that Jesus Christ is sovereign Lord God. Jesus Christ is sovereign Lord God. That means that he sets the, this sets the context for the position that Jesus is in time and space, that he is God and there is no equal before him. Look at the passage in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Did you see that? He is the image of the invisible God. It's not to say that he's some sort of reflection or some sort of ghost, but rather God himself. That being Jesus Christ is very God. He is the exact manifestation of the invisible God. If you remember back in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus himself says, I and the Father are one. And in this passage, it reflects that, and it states that he was also the firstborn of all creation. That means that there is nothing that has come before him in time and eternity. That Jesus has always existed, and that there is nothing that precedes him. Also, this idea of firstborn of all creation has in its context, uh, in the ancient Near East, this idea that the firstborn had all the rights and privileges of the family. That being the firstborn meant and communicated that he was over the, the household. And so as we look at this particular verse, it's stating that God himself is Jesus Christ and he is over time and space and has the vested authority to rule over everything. So as you think about that for a minute, it's to reflect on the fact that, that Jesus precedes time itself. Now, I understand that that thought probably should happen like right before you go to bed or at a bonfire at the beach, which is both places where you have kind of deep thought. But I'm inviting us right now, put on the warm blanket of your reflective thinking for a minute and take with me without a DeLorean to be able to think about the fact that God himself, that being Jesus, actually precedes 
the existence of time. And that is who our God is. And because of that, everything in the universe has come after him and under him. So therefore, Jesus Christ holds the highest and first place among everything. And he is God. Now, we all have to recognize here in terms of application that (laughs) we all kind of wake up and usually around, mm, let's say, between the ages of 11 and 14, you begin to start to think that you are actually the ruler of the universe, right? You begin to think that nothing has existed until you deemed it to be wonderful, right? Now, again, no disrespect to our wonderful teens here, but Over time, as you get older, and as you begin to understand that your time to win an Olympic medal has gone, (laughs) you begin to realize that you are not the king of the universe. And that as a matter of fact, even though you might have thought in a particular time that you could have ruled everything, that humility and reality has settled in to realize that you're not king and you don't rule you know, it's, uh, it's fascinating to recognize that we're all subject to something. And to realize that, that there is a king of the universe and you are not it. It comes with it's a reframing of how you see life. As a matter of fact, I, I believe that we are in, and if you uh, can think further about the fact that we are living in a post-Christian reality. The sum total of postmodernism has run its course and its inevitability has meant that now we are living in a post-Christian reality. That our society right now does not acknowledge any sort of recognition that there is a God who has preceded time and space. But rather, just like uh, the poetic work of uh, the greatest showman, that that people are wanting to dance to the beat they drum. Remember where it used to be that used to beat, uh, used to have a beat of a different drum? Remember that? But now you define the drum. It's not a different drum. It's now the beat that I drum. And not only that, but now the way in which that they want to live, they actually rewrite the stars. So the fact of the matter is, is that now there, now there isn't a drum and there isn't a star, but rather I, it's the beat I drum and it is the stars that I rewrite because in a post-Christian reality, when there is no God, God becomes you. But the reality is, is that there is a God. And, and on a practical level, I think this also helps us, too, to understand the difference in our own heart between complaining and lamenting. Have you ever thought about that? The difference between complaining and lamenting? Complaining and not liking, recognizing the suffering and the brokenness of living in this world? And the difference between that and lamenting? Uh, lamenting acknowledges, acknowledges the brokenness of this world, but complaining ends with, if I was in charge, it would be different. When lamenting recognizes the brokenness of this world, but then celebrates that there is a God who is king over all. And I can recognize the brokenness. 
but then celebrate that I'm not the one who has to make that brokenness right. Isn't that fascinating? Let's move then back into our passage. We looked at that Jesus is the creator and sustainer of all things in verse 15. Let's look back at the text to verse 16. It says then, and we are looking at this next greatness of Christ, which is this. Jesus Christ is the creator and sustainer of the universe. First and foremost, he is sovereign Lord God. Secondly, Jesus Christ is the creator and sustainer of the universe. This universe did not appear out of nothing. Specific design of the earth's ecosystem all the way to the complexities of a single cell organism shows design. And Jesus himself is the creator and sustainer of the universe. Look back at your text, verse 16. It says this. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And it is he that is before all things, and in him all things hold together. All things. This idea, all things in the Greek, has this idea of the universe. You have the scope of the universe. One of my Instagram uh, uh, feeds that I like is Earth. Okay, that's what it is, Instagram. So obviously, even Earth has an Instagram, I guess. So anyway, <laughs> I can't say that it's there. And there's just these remarkable pictures of Earth. And I also have another one that's, that's NASA. And NASA shows all of the heavens and the beauty of it all. That what it states here in the text is that is that every single thing in the universe was created by Jesus. Remember your theology back to Genesis 1.26, where it says, where it says, let us make. That Jesus, being a part of the triune Godhead, was and is there to create the universe itself. Jesus Christ is not passive, but rather active in the creation of everything that we see. And you can see that back in the text. Heaven, earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authority. Jesus is the one who created them all. Every single one of them. And it was created. I mean, look at the text. It was created through him and for him. Jesus is not only Lord and ruler over everything, but he is the conditioning cause of everything. So he's both king and ruler as well as the sustainer of everything. And in him, and in him all things hold together. The very fabric of the universe is held together by Jesus. Not only does he reign as, as king, but then he also, he also has the power and the position to rule because he's created everything and he also holds it together, the very fabric of it. If you ever want to get lost for a little bit, Google dark matter. And it kind of is crazy that scientists are saying that 85% of the universe they can't see, but yet it moves everything else in the universe in its place. Now, I'm not going to say that's Jesus, but it could be, right? 
Certainly that Jesus holds all of that together and if he uses dark matter, uh, it may well be. But the fact of the matter is, is that this passage authoritatively states that every single molecule in the universe is held together by Jesus. That he rules and he does that perfectly. So therefore, there's... That's why in the universe, as we think about it some more, like Psalm 19.1 and Romans 1.20, where it talks about that, that human beings know that there is a God because they see the created universe, that nobody is without excuse. Why? Because when you sit down and you try to think as hard as you can to create something, what you get is Pokemon Go. You don't get a blue whale. You don't get the ecosystem of a sequoia tree. You don't get the sun. I do like Pokemon Go, by the way. To, to let you know, I do enjoy that a lot. But God is the created order. And here's the other part, and I hope you pick this up. For him, it was created through him and by him and for him. What that means is, is that the creation has purpose. The creation has purpose. And that means that you and the world and the universe has created purpose and that because Jesus has the power and authority not only to create but to sustain and to rule, it means that every single thing that happens in this universe happens according to and for his purposes because he has the ability to hold it together. Turn in your Bibles to Job 42.2. There are a couple of scary verses in the Bible, and to me, this is one of them. Job 42.2. Let's look at that together. I'm going to start in verse 1. It says this, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purposes of yours can be thwarted. No purposes of yours can be thwarted. That means that there is nothing in the created universe that can eclipse the power and authority of the creator God. And that means that every single thing that happens in this universe, even in its suffering, accomplishes the ultimate goal of why God created the universe, which is to bring all glory and honor to him and to redeem for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Matthew 10, 29 through 31 talks about the same thing, that even, a, even the sparrow, even the sparrow is cared for so much more so, how much will he care for you? God accomplishes his purposes. And again, in the bonfire thinking moment of our hearts right now, wrap your mind around that. That everything that happens in this universe happens sovereignly and powerfully according to the purposes of Jesus Christ for his glory and for our good and the reality of that is, is that, is that then all those things, 
everything then results in the fact that we can trust him. Look, the fact of the matter is you trust a lot of things, don't you? Right? When I go rock climbing over there at at Top Out, right? When I go there, I trust that that harness is going to hold what I call a healthy dead weight about 50, you know, feet up in the ground, right? You trust things. You don't even think about things. But how much more so as we understand the greatness of Jesus Christ and how that applies to everyday life, when we look at Colossians 1, 15 and 16, how much more so would that not drive us to trust him? To trust him in the dark side of the moon of our own suffering. To trust him and to understand and to know that that even when we can't see in our finiteness what God is doing, that there is a God who knows and sees everything and is orchestrating everything according to his purposes. And that nothing, nothing can trick God into something that he doesn't want to have happen. That's a, that's a horribly disturbing and humbling thought. C.W. Smith, who was named after one of these dorms up here that you can see from the parking lot, used to say that Romans 8.28 is a phenomenal verse, but it's not the only verse in the Bible. And what he means by that is this, is that Romans 8.28, saying that God is going to work all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes, is true, but it's not the only place in the Bible that it states it. But that here, as we look at this passage, that it's so true that God himself orchestrates all things together. The fact of the matter is, is that we can trust him. Because he has the ability to do that. So many things that we trust in that we know can't fulfill all of its promises, how much more so in the reality of everyday life can we trust God and his revealed word into every area of life because he actually has the power and the position to do so. So whether that's in the early stages of the littles in your home or whether that is in the darkness of infertility, whether that is the beauty of marriage, whether that is in the beauty of singleness, whatever that might be, whether you have brown eyes and you want blue, whether you're tall and you want to be short, whatever it might be that might capture your heart to distrust that when God created you, somehow he missed the memo, that that you can sit back and say, wait a minute, that God is one of whom I can trust because God himself is the creator and sustainer of all things. And as one theologian used to say that therefore there is not one rebellious molecule in the universe. That helps me to go to sleep at night when the chaos and the tensions And the fears that so easily tempt my soul to be able to lay those aside and the sin which so easily entangles me and to look to Jesus, the sustainer and creator of all of life. Well, there's more here. And let's look down back at our passage as we're picking it back up in verse 18. 
We had looked before that Jesus is sovereign Lord God. Secondly, that Jesus is the sustainer and creator of the universe. We're going to look now that Jesus is the ruler over all eternity. Not only is Jesus then the reigner of everything that we can see, but he also rules and reigns over all eternity, that of which we can't see. The reign of our sovereign God is not limited to just the known universe, but it expands to the eternal well beyond what is temporal and physical. Look there back at verse 18. He says that, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. He's looking to the head of the body, the church, the the belonging and gathering of his people that has eternity written in their hearts, the gathered church that he looks to as he is head over them, that has as its footprint not just this earth, but its foot also in eternity for all time. And that he rules over us. And that that is the church, the people of God. And that he's able to reign over his people because, back at the text, he's the firstborn of the dead. That means that Jesus not only came to earth and died, but and has power over death because he rose. If there wasn't a resurrection, everything that he said would be a lie. But the fact of the matter is, is that because Jesus rose from the dead, everything that he said is true. As we look at and could spend time looking at a 1 Corinthians 15. So turn in your Bibles there for just a few moments. 1 Corinthians 15. The Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. And I want to remind us of of the reality and how that shapes how we live. Verse 12, and we're just gonna, we're gonna buzz the tower here, so, so hold on tight. Verse 12, it says, Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain, right? And then those who have fallen asleep, uh, verse 18, those who have fallen asleep, fall asleep in Christ have perished. And if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we of all people are most to be pitied. Stop right there. Did you catch that? He's saying that there are some people who don't believe that there's a resurrection from the dead, meaning that what Jesus is saying is not true. And if there isn't a resurrection from the dead, and if Jesus hasn't risen from the dead to prove everything that he said was true that we're seeing here in this passage, then we are absolute fools. You are a fool. I am a fool to believe that there is a resurrection from the dead and how that impacts my everyday life and the choices that I make. I'm a fool. And the most to be pitied. Verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep and it moves on to... to, to talk about all of the things that he's done and putting all things in subjective under his feet. I love the fact that it, it moves in 
later in the passage that it talks about in verse 54, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying what is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who has given victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. So it is Jesus that he rules over all eternity because he is the firstborn of the dead. And I have to tell you, just as a footnote, I absolutely love Easter. It's my absolute favorite day of the year. It's better than my birthday, uh, Thanksgiving, Christmas, all wrapped up in the one. Because we get to come and we sing up from the graves he rose and you, and you state that he is risen, he is risen indeed. And that is our hope. It is this one single moment day that we realize that we are not the most to be pitied. Why? Because he is the firstborn from the dead. So that everything he might be preeminent. Back to, back to Colossians 1. Looking back at the text, it says then that in everything, he might be preeminent. Here's the point. Because Jesus rose from the dead, he now not only has reigning over everything in the universe because he's God, but then he also reigns everything in eternity because he is God-man come in the flesh and has had power over death itself. And now he reigns over everything. Remember in Romans 11:36 that Paul in this moment as he had written 11 chapters on the doctrine of Jesus Christ and the gospel he gets that to the end and he says for from him and through him and to him are all things because they are Thinking about this a little bit more we have to realize that the resurrection matters it's not just something that you celebrate one day out of the year. But it's something that you celebrate every day. Because out of Romans 6, because he died and he rose, we died. And we now get to rise with him. And the beauty of that in 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says that then we can be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Because we know that the work that we do in him is not in vain. Why? Because he is preeminent. Because he rose from the dead and he rules over everything and we can trust him. And we get to celebrate that as the church. The people gathered together here, the belonging in the local church, celebrates and submits to Jesus Christ as preeminent over everything. It is the gathered of those who have their hope in the resurrection. It is the gathered of those who have been transformed and redeemed. It is the gathered that remind one another that they move and encourage one another towards love and good deeds that are not in vain because we know and celebrate that Jesus is the head of the church of whom we follow and belong. The church is not just some sort of rotary club that you pay dues for or that you get like large vats of mayonnaise when you, when you buy other food at Costco. This is the church. It is your actual lifeblood. It, it, it is the physical representation of your being in Jesus Christ. 
that you're actually able to see and to touch and to feel and to sense in your one anothering together what it means to know and to follow Jesus. First John 4 says that people don't know, they can't see God, but rather when we love one another, his love is complete in us. Meaning that we're able to see and to realize the actual completion of our redemption, which is that we get to live differently and not enslaved to our sin anymore. The resurrection matters. And Jesus having rule over the universe, over eternity, is the ruler and head of this church. And you get to live it out with donuts and coffee right? You get to live it out on Thursday afternoons at the playground. You get to live it out in the dark moments of not knowing what to do, but you just come over and you sit and you bake a casserole. I don't know what it is about casseroles, but they just, they warm everybody's heart, right? Every single moment of life is intentional in relationships, in the context of the local church, because I get to be, as one who is broken and in need of change in the hope of the gospel, get to see and to live that out in the context of relationship here as the body of Christ that gets to realize his preeminence in all eternity in part today. Now I'm just getting excited it's nice to be with you because you've given that to me today my heart was weary right my heart's been weary Adam gives the call and I'm reminded of these things and I come in and I see the people of God and it ministers to my soul to remind myself that we follow a God who is our head who is preeminent over everything and that we can trust him and that we can lean into our lives with one another with great and amazing hope. Let's move then into this last point. We've been moving through this passage, and for those of you who are keeping score, we, uh, we are reminded of the greatness of Christ as sovereign Lord God, as creator and sustainer of the universe, as ruler over all eternity. And finally here in verse 19, that Jesus Christ, therefore, is the only Savior and Redeemer from sin. Think about it logically. If there is sin, which there is, who is the only one who's going to redeem it? It's Jesus because he's over everything and we are his and therefore that's why there is no other name by which man might be saved. Nothing because there's nothing before him. There's nothing after him. There's nothing above him. There's nothing over his scope that Jesus Christ is the redeemer of sin and praise the Lord Jesus Christ that he has sought us not by any works of our own but by his grace and has redeemed us and now we are his. Is. Think about these things. For from him, in verse 19, going back to the text again, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Do you see that there? This idea of that God himself, uh, excuse me, that Jesus is the fullness of God himself and that he reconciled 
You know, this idea of reconciling, which means to, to buy back, which means to make whole again, that this whole universe is in rebellion. And to be able to bring that back and together to be able to say that there is a reconciler of Jesus that comes and does that through the gospel. It's the essential meaning of to be redeemed, to be uh, reconciled, is to change. Look, I'm not going to spend a lot of time because there's a lot of conversation in all the ministries here about the reality that our, our belonging and identity in Christ shapes the process of change. But that process of change that we're able to be and to grow is because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. It is only in and through him and the realization of that that we have the ability to live in peace because of his blood, both of which we have read today and that we have sung today. The power and position of Jesus Christ over all things places him to be the only one who can bring reconciliation to that which is broken by the implications of sin to a right and holy God through his act of redemption. That is why in John 14, 6, that Jesus speaks that I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's the reality of the gospel that's worked itself out in everyday life. Have you remembered those things? I hope that today, that when you hear of the person and work of Jesus Christ, that that reminds you again of the beauty of the gospel and that you are his that you get to love and to live and to belong in this place and that it transforms you. Now again, it's, it's not speaking about, in the passage there, it's not speaking about a universalism, but rather specifically in a John 3.16 sort of way that all of those who believe, and there are some of you who have not, and there are some of you who have. You know, one of the things that I've done with my kids is that we'll be driving sometimes and, you know, again, I'm, you know, I'm a relatively safe driver, but every once in a while I might have a McDouble in my hand and it might be, a, you know, a crossover. And so I'm driving and, you know, I'm talking with my kids, whatever, and we turn and somebody else might make a wrong turn, you know, and we get in, it's really close, you know, I go, whoosh, right? And then I turn to my kids, I go, are you ready? Right? <laughs> what? I go, are you ready? Because that was it. That could have been it. It could have been it. We could have seen Jesus. Are you ready? Yeah? And there was one time, <laughs> there was one time I did it, and one of my kids, like, stutter stepped on it. I'm like, oh, you're not ready. He's like, no, no, I'm ready. I go, I don't think you are. You know, I don't think you are. You know, because they meet my Big Mac. Are you? Are you? Where do you place your hope? Where do you place your belonging, your identity? Where do you place your trust? Where do you place how you see the world and what you spend money on and what you do on a Thursday afternoon? What's your identity? Is it in Jesus Christ? Because as we've seen today, there's nothing greater in the universe than the person and work of Jesus Christ.
and we know him. And here's the last beauty of it, is that because of that, Romans 8.1 empowers us to live differently. That because of Jesus Christ and his preeminence over all things, therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And not only are you able to live rightly, but you're able to live in a way that is free, truly free and at peace because you know, you know that there is no condemnation before you, before Christ Jesus, who is over all things and holds all things together, both in this life and in the life to come. And you have been reconciled to him by grace through faith. And now there's no condemnation for you so you can live rightly in every area of life without fear because we have to admit that the thing that, the thing that brings so much fear in our hearts is that someone might actually know me. That somebody might actually know the, the darkness of who I am in reality. And so therefore I hide and protect. That somebody might actually take something away from me. Or somebody might give me something that I don't want. And I'm trying to protect all these things. But once I realize that there is no condemnation, meaning that there isn't anything in the universe that can take away my beloved hope in Christ Jesus in every area of this life and the life to come, it gives me courage to move and to live and to pursue Whatever is before me, because in the end, the hardest thing about me is that I am a sinner and broken and in need of change and the ugliness of that. And I don't want you to see those things, so I hide. But here's the beauty of it, that actually the worst thing about me and the worst thing about us and our sin is also the opportunity to share the best thing about us is that my identity is not found in my sin, but in my identity in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who is sovereign Lord over all, who is sustainer and creator of the universe, who rules over all eternity and is the only savior and redeemer from our sin. So glad that we gathered together and to consider how to encourage one another towards love and good deeds in that end. Let's pray together. Lord, we're, we're remarkably humbled by the greatness of this passage today. And even in my own soul, you know, O oh Lord, how, how beautifully reminder it is to see the greatness of Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we have sung and as we've reflected, might you move the greatness of who you are into our everyday life. And as we, as we celebrate even the, the meal that we are to share together in just a few moments, that this meal is a reflection and a remembrance of the beautiful work of the gospel that you've done and, O oh Lord, our belonging together as your church so that you, O oh Lord, might be celebrated and proclaimed that you are everything and preeminent in all things both in this life and in all the universe and all eternity. And we are with you and we love you. Help these words to shape our hearts today through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.